Today on the Word Preacher Podcast, the birth of Jesus Christ, those who found Christ at the temple, the curiosities surrounding the wise men, and being about our Father's business. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. All right. Uh, this week, uh, this coming week, our assigned reading is in uh, Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. Uh, this early in the year, it's uh, right now January 13th, so it's like the middle of January and it feels like Christmas was a long time ago already to me. All my neighbors have their Christmas lights down, I do too. Um, funny enough, that our town center still has a bunch of Christmas lights up, but uh, I don't know. I guess everybody's a little bit different on that. Um, in spite of that, we are going to talk about the story of Christmas. Um, so I'm not going to hammer on this too much on some of the stuff that everyone knows, particularly in the middle of January. It's It doesn't feel the same, even though the weather is similar. It's just not quite the same. But yes, the story. Joseph is required to go down to the city of Bethlehem from where he lives in Galilee in the city of Nazareth. Uh, He goes down to Bethlehem uh, for tax reasons. Uh, Caesar Augustus is the Roman emperor and he's requiring everyone uh, be counted and taxed. When they get there, it's a considerable journey um, and we don't know how they traveled. Everyone portrays uh, Mary riding a donkey. Uh, the scriptures don't say that, but uh, we do know that when they arrived, uh, Luke records that there was no room for them in the inn, so they go to a stable. Now, we don't know if that means there was no room in general, all the rooms were occupied, and this was literally all there was, or if it was that there was no room for them. We do know that they were not super rich. Uh, Later, when they went to the temple to offer a sacrifice um, for for Jesus' birth, they offered the poor sacrifice a pair of doves. Um, So this might have been the best they could do with their financial situation. We don't know, but certainly... It was very humble circumstances into which the King of Kings was born. Um, now, Jesus' birth was not announced to, to any of the great emperors. Caesar did not get an announcement. Certainly, Herod did not get an announcement. Um, but God could not keep this a secret. It was a happy occasion. Um, in the Book of Mormon, we know about the the night that it was as bright as day, where Jesus literally saved those who believed in him at his arrival. And, uh, and of course, the important part in our reading uh, was that there were shepherds in the same country, uh, in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks. 
and they were visited by angels. And the angels presented them with the good tidings of great joy for all people that Jesus Christ was indeed born and that they would find him in humble circumstances, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Um, they went, made haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the child, and made abroad the saying which had been told them by the angel. They knew that Christ had been born. Um, they weren't the only ones to bear testimony of this divine event. Uh, at eight days, Jesus was brought to Jerusalem, uh, and at the temple, there was a man named Simeon, who had been a very righteous and just man, and he was guided by the Holy Ghost to recognize that this baby was indeed the Messiah. And he took him and prophesied regarding what he should do in his life. Um, also at the temple was a woman, a prophetess of the tribe of Asher named Anna, uh, she also heard what was done and testified to, uh, Luke uses a, an interesting term in verse 38, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Uh, that's a, we don't know what number of people that might be, but that's significant. Everyone that was looking for redemption, she could tell the account of this baby that she saw and heard the prophecy of Simeon, and could testify that this was the Messiah. Redemption was coming. Um, I think even today, this is the experience for most people when it comes to their relationship with Jesus Christ, is following the guidance of the Holy Ghost to recognize divinity, um, and also relying on the testimonies of others who know who have been guided by prophecy and by the Holy Ghost. Uh, this is not unusual for anyone to become acquainted with Christ using those techniques. I think that's important to remember. You may not have the angelic visits that the, uh, that the shepherds had, but, uh, but through all of these, these methods, it's possible for everyone to come to know the good tidings of great joy, which are represented in Jesus Christ himself. All right, moving on. Uh, this is one of the things that I think is, is a little more interesting. This account of the wise man. Now, in tradition, which you should interpret as not the scriptures and also could be total bunk. Um, tradition tells of three kings, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Not just the gurus from Chrono Trigger, if you're a JRPG fan. Um, these are the traditional names of the three kings, which apparently traveled traditionally from India, Persia, and Arabia to meet and pay tribute to the king of the Jews. Now, there are all sorts of stories around this that, um, that, that we just don't know. 
What we do know from the account of Matthew is uh, he doesn't call them kings, only wise men. And he doesn't specify any names. He doesn't specify nations of origin or even how far they had traveled, only that they were from the east, whatever that means. Uh, he also just uses the plural term. He, he says wise men uh, is what we have in our interpretation. We know it's plural, uh, but uh, we we get the number three typically from the number of gifts. That's what is specified in Matthew, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There are a number of curiosities that surround these wise men. The term wise men in English, in the King James Version, um, is a translation of the Greek term magos, uh, which is used to describe sorcerers and astrologers, or even like deceivers, scam artists. Uh, one example of that same term magos being used is in Acts 13, where it is translated as sorcerer. There was a false prophet that was rebuked by the apostles using the same term. So it's interesting, in this case, even though it's the same term in Greek, um, it's used to describe these obviously good people being guided by God. Uh, they were respected. They recognized that this star was associated with the king of the Jews, which in and of itself is kind of interesting. Who in other countries is thinking, you know, I really wonder about the king of the Jews. I mean, the Jews were a conquered people living in Rome. Why would they care? It certainly is a question that's interesting to think about, and I'm not going to speculate on what the answer is. Um, we just don't know. Another curiosity that I think is interesting is that uh, is relating to a critique of the Book of Mormon. There are critics of the Book of Mormon who try and discredit this uh, uh, book of Scripture by pointing to Alma's teaching about the birth of Jesus Christ in Alma 7. This is after Alma the Younger gives up the, the judgment seat. Uh, but retains his position as high priest and tries to go and, and convince people that they need to repent and be better. And one of the things of which he testifies is the birth of Christ using, uh, in Alma chapter 7, verse 10, uh, he says, He shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, and bring forth a son, yea, even the Son of God. And there are a lot of people who say, but he wasn't born at Jerusalem, so that must be bunk. Interestingly enough, certainly for those who accept the biblical account, the wise men started their account, their, their account essentially starts, at Jerusalem. The star guided them to Jerusalem. And only once they were in Jerusalem did they begin to inquire, uh, inquire um, about 
you know, where is he who's going to be born king of the Jews? And uh, eventually Herod consults with uh, people who had a little bit of religion because Herod did not. And, uh, and, and they turn to the prophecy of Micah, the book of Micah chapter 5, indicating that maybe these wise men didn't have access to that scripture, even though Micah was at the time around Isaiah, possibly even before Isaiah, these wise men apparently did not have access to that or an understanding of it. Um, and so it was given to them that he would be born at Bethlehem. I think that also um, leads to another interesting thought when we're thinking about um, how initially these wise men were guided by the star, and it brought them not to their destination, not to the person they sought. It brought them to Jerusalem, and then they had to do extra work. And then Matthew tells us that after they do this, they go to Bethlehem, and they follow the star again, and the star leads them to the child, where they are able to present their gifts for the king of the Jews. Why didn't the star just take them right to Bethlehem? I think that maybe that's a question a lot of people um, might have regarding divine guidance. Why doesn't God just send me to the place I need to go? I have this question, what's with the runaround? Um, but there's actually a pretty significant pattern of God guiding people to seemingly places where they're not going to be, sidetracking people almost intentionally. Consider, um, as he guided the Israelites, um, using the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, he uh, kept them wandering for years. Of course, that was according to his promise, but Eventually, I mean, the goal was not to stay in the wilderness. It was to get to Canaan. On that same note, Abraham was promised Canaan. Um, as he left uh, the land of Haran, uh, he came down and he was promised that the land of Canaan would be his. And then almost immediately, he's forced to go down to Egypt and lie about, well, not lie, that's Maybe a topic for another time. But uh, he's in peril in Egypt uh, because he has a good-looking wife. Um, and uh, he uh, tells people that, he is, that she is his sister, uh, which is not a lie, um, but it's not the whole truth. And that's a topic for another time. Uh, but the idea, I mean, ultimately, even in the New Testament, when you look at the big context, God calls all of these apostles. He restores his, his power, establishes a, a new dispensation, establishes an understanding of his atonement, that they should look to him, that he will be the way, the truth, and the life, and ultimately allows it all to just be thrown out. People kill all of his apostles almost all of his apostles, I should say, and uh, and the church is just thrown into apostasy. And uh, so why would he start doing that, knowing that it's just going to be led astray? 
Why does he lead people on these seemingly wild goose chases or sidetracked tasks uh, when our true destination is somewhere else? I think this is important guidance for anyone who is seeking the Lord, that there are times when we receive exactly what we need, exactly the guidance that will help us get to the next step, and that there are other times when we may receive guidance that leads us on what may seem to sidetrack us or what may seem to stall us. And if we are careful, if we are diligent, if we choose to have faith and continue to believe, then, as the wise men, that original source will guide us to the place we ought to be. Jesus himself would later teach, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The promise is there. If you diligently seek, you will find. You may have a detour, but that's where the diligent part comes in. Uh, finally, at the end of Luke chapter 2, uh, Jesus, at the age of 12, uh, goes with Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Very important uh, observation for all Jews. And, uh, and after the time is over, they be Mary and Joseph begin uh, heading back up to Galilee, and uh, they can't find Jesus. And they start looking around, and they get a little bit panicked, and ultimately they turn around and, and they get to Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple, and he's teaching and asking questions and really surprising uh, the people that are there. And Mary asks, you know, how could you deal with us? Don't you know that we sought you sorrowing? And he answered, you know, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? So that, I think, leads us to the question, what exactly is his father's business? What does that mean? Well, what was he doing to be about it? He was at the temple, and he was teaching. Um, I think that maybe those are some clues. Regardless of what roles we may have, I think that it's vital for us, even as young Jesus did, to prioritize our Father's business. And I think that makes a huge difference. That uh, even though he was subject to his parents, he honored them. He went back to to Galilee with them to Nazareth. Um, it was important that he take his father's business, his heavenly father's business, seriously. Um, and I think that that's an example that all of us can find value as we follow. Um, next week, uh, we're heading into John chapter 1, which is truly one of my favorite sections of the New Testament. Just phenomenal. So uh, 
this week, uh, Matthew 2, Luke 2. Please keep up on your reading and study. Next, uh, next week, we'll be here and we will discuss John 1. Thank you, everyone who listens and supports and participates uh, to this Word, Pre- uh, Word Preacher podcast. Um, hope you have an excellent week and fight on.